You're listening to Multiply, a church planting podcast. Hello, everyone. It's great to be back with the Multiply Church Planting Podcast. Yes. Now, this is all about trying to create a community of people involved or interested in church planting. My name is Martin Tibber. I'm from a town called Bedford in the United Kingdom. I've got my good friend Tim Gannon with me. Welcome, Tim. Yeah, thanks, Martin. Yeah, hi, everyone. Good to be here. My name's Tim. I'm from Milton Keynes, again, in the UK, and uh, it's good to be doing another podcast. So Tim and I are interviewing different church planters from different settings, and we've been doing this a few weeks now, and we're, I mean, we're learning lots, and I trust yes. you are too. Tim, would you tell us who we've got today? Yeah, gladly. So today we are having a chat with Jonathan Bell. Yeah. Jonathan Bell lives in Birmingham, and he's going to be sharing his story of church planting stretching back over 25 years. And it's a good one. It is. And so brilliant. stay tuned. I'm sure you'll enjoy it, particularly little teaser for the end of the interview where he gives some really solid advice for people feeling stirred towards church planting. And so stay tuned for that one. And let's get into the interview now, shall we, Martin? Brilliant. Let's do it. Huge welcome to Jonathan Bell joining us on the podcast today, joining Martin and myself. Welcome, Jonathan. How are you doing? Yeah, doing all right. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you, mate. And really uh, looking forward to hearing your story and you sharing some of your experiences over the years of church yeah. planting as it helps us all get inspired and get motivated and get encouraged into more of what God's got ahead for us. Uh, by way of introduction, why don't you give us just a little introduction to who you are, give us a bit of an idea of your family uh, and all of that, and then we'll dive into some of your story. Yeah, sure. Um, I grew up in a small village in northeast Hampshire. Uh, probably no one listening to this will ever have heard of it, but it's called Odium, a population okay. of 3,000 people Uh Loads of thatched cottages, stuff full of nice. lords and ladies, and coach loads of tourists came through to visit the the antique shop and the uh, rug <laughs> shop. But not a whole lot going on there. But that's where I grew up. Uh, my dad actually led a church uh, in Odium. Um, yep. Growing up, uh, if truth be told, I wanted nothing to do with church leadership, mm. let alone church planting. Uh, but long story short, uh, I married Helen uh, 25 years ago this year. Great. Wow, this year. Yeah, three months after getting married, we moved to Birmingham to church plant and wow. uh, still oh, there. Um, along the way, we produced two sons. They're both in their 20s now. And for the record, as a family, we're all staunch Everton supporters. <laughs> uh-huh. We won't hold that against you. Probably great preparation for a life of pain and sacrifice, so it served us well. <laughs> I know this has nothing to do with Church Martin, Jonathan, but but why Everton? If from Odium to Everton, I know that's quite a distance. Well, well, look, if if you know your geography and your kind of football teams, you'll know that there isn't a whole lot of football action around North East Hampshire. And so growing up, there were no local teams, really. As a six-year-old, I bought a packet of football stickers and I decided the first sticker I pulled out I would support the team wow. of that player. So idea. it could have been anyone, but by the providence of God, <laughs> I, I pulled out Bob Latchford 
who was a Letchford. star striker for Everton in the 1970s. Him. Yeah, Tim, you're too young. You're too young, mate. So the 1980s were great as an Everton supporter, but I had years of suffering in Pain. the 1970s before that. Pain. I plan my ass has paid off. It certainly has. <laughs> Brilliant. Great. Okay. Well, so I mean, I'm intrigued straight away at the idea of getting married and then three months into your marriage, moving and planting a church. There must have been something there, Jonathan, that got you wanting to plant a church, something of God's call, something of God's leading on your life. Tell us, if if you don't mind, some of that story. I've got to be honest, I'm actually quite a reluctant church planter (laughs) okay (laughs) kind of earlier on in my life uh, if you'd kind of asked me which bible characters I most identified with I probably would have gone with your Gideon kind of uh hiding away trying to stay out of trouble or Jonah kind of going the opposite direction to (laughs) where God was saying go but really all of that changed uh, through a pretty powerful encounter with God when I was 15 years old is a a Christian youth camp and someone had done this kind of rousing talk about following the call of God whatever the cost and made an appeal at the end everyone who wants to follow the call of God whatever the cost you run to the front now and it felt like pretty much everyone uh, in the marquee ran forward other than me and so I was sitting there in my seat uh, with all my friends who had responded and there was this kind of inner battle going on I, I, I knew and loved Jesus but I was the most shy, nervous, introverted person you can imagine. Uh, as a child, I needed speech therapy because I couldn't articulate my words properly. And that kind of knocked my confidence growing up. Yeah. And so I was trying to think what the cost might be for me. And for me, really, it was doing anything in public that involved standing up in front of people mm. or any kind of church leadership. Uh, I said earlier, I I grew up in a family. My dad led a church. Um, I very much respected him and I had nothing against the church. But I I guess I saw firsthand what was involved. And I thought, I want nothing to do with that. But at the same time, like I said, I knew and loved Jesus. So I, I, I reluctantly, after everyone else had gone forward, kind of, crept forward and hid at the back of the crowd where I was far more comfortable being uh, until uh, the crowd started parting and through the crowds came one of these prophetic characters that you really don't want to kind of lock eyes with because you think the moment you do they'll see right inside your head and I, I didn't have many deep dark secrets if any but unless I was a little nervous uh, and he stopped right in front of me and he didn't have a clue who I was but he said look God's got two words for you first of all he's calling you to preach which was absolutely what i didn't want to hear Uh, and then he said and this is the point of this story really he said and god is putting somewhere in your mind now where he's going to use you in the future Uh, and as a reasonably carnal 15 year old i tried to think of all the places in the world i'd really like to go to (laughs) um but the more I did that, the more Birmingham came into my mind. And I kind of rebuked the thought and yeah, I tried to replace yeah. it with Barbados, Barbados or Bermuda. Barcelona or, uh, or anywhere would Any have been other, other than Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> no, just really strong Birmingham. And, and I said, no, I don't want either of these. Uh, at which point I found myself prostrate on the floor wow. um, and physically unable to get up. Um, and, and this went on for the best part of 45 minutes. Where there was this internal dialogue where I was saying, God, I do not want to preach. And I'm not particularly keen on ever going anywhere near Birmingham, if if Mm. truth be told. Mm. And it was like this this voice from God saying, well, get up then. 
and I physically couldn't. Hmm. Um, and the fact it went on so long shows how much I didn't want it and how stubborn I could be at times. But it was long enough to show me that just maybe God might be doing yes. something here. Yeah. And it was at the point where I finally conceded to God and said, okay, then, that I was able to get up. Yeah. So really, the story began when I was 15 years old with an encounter with God, without which I probably wouldn't have wow. gone church planting with my wife of three months. Yeah, wow. <laughs> what did you do with that moment? I mean, that is absolutely amazing, clearly life-shaping for you and then for your family. How did you process what was clearly a massive moment in your life. Well, through the course of this conversation, probably I'll give all kinds of advice that is wrong advice that I don't want anyone to follow. <laughs> so yeah. so I, I, I did what you probably shouldn't do. I didn't tell anyone at all, largely because I didn't want anyone to do anything to make it yeah. happen. However, three weeks after that, the leader in the youth group I grew up in invited me to do a talk in the youth group. Now, up until that point, none of the young people had ever done anything like that in the youth group. It wasn't that kind of a culture. And I could think of any number of people in the youth group who would be better qualified than me. And I was just about to say no, because mm. that would have been my natural reaction. But obviously, I remembered what had yeah. just happened. And so I said yes. And I thought I was making some kind of deal with God, kind of in my youthful arrogance. <laughs> so I, I, I said to God, look, if this goes badly, as I anticipated it probably would, I said to God, I will never, ever, ever do anything like this again. <laughs> um, but the flip side was, I said, God, if, if this goes well, I will never turn down an opportunity you give me. Wow, wow Jonathan. And uh, I prepared... Because uh, I was reasonably conscientious mm. and I didn't want to look foolish. But I, I got up to speak and it was like I couldn't get the words out. Wow. Um, and I was there in front of people just completely kind of locked yeah. up. And I was just thinking, okay, God, I told you <laughs> I'm never doing this again. <laughs> I finally managed to get the first sentence out. At which point I knew the spirit of God with me like I'd never experienced before. And by no stretch of the imagination was it a great talk, but it was enough for me to kind of cement it. Uh, okay, I think God is in this. I just felt from that point on, again and again and again, whatever context I was in, opportunities would open mm -hmm. up. And because of that kind of promise to God, I never turned them down. And so by the time I'd finished university, I'd already had enough of a track record kind of testing God out to think, okay, I think my life is going in this direction. Um, I didn't know when those words would really be fulfilled, but I thought I've got no commitments. Um, I might as well invest in getting prepared now, and maybe it's for 20, 30 years' time. But, yeah. uh, so I went to a Bible school out in India for six months. Wow. I did an internship in the church I grew up in under my dad, uh, I did a training course called Equip for Ministry, did everything yeah. I could to kind of get prepared and ready for whenever God said, okay, now's the time. So from that moment when you speak for the first time, feel God with you in that confirming, from that point, you began to take it seriously, it seems. Yes, yes, Re reluctantly, Wow. but yes. <laughs> wow, John. Very cool. And so you then you left university six months in India, internship, and tell us about exploring Birmingham specifically, because God's clearly spoken 
I guess you did something to test that and find out, I don't know, or did you, or did you just buy a one-way train ticket or however you get from Odium to Birmingham? Uh, okay, here's the next piece of advice again to ignore. <laughs> don't, don't <do laughs> my practice being the wrong practice. Uh, Tim, I did absolutely nothing about it um, oh, wow. because I didn't really want to live in Birmingham. Sure. Um, and I, I was reasonably happy in Odium with its antique shop and rug shop and, yeah. <laughs> and whatever. But then God started speaking again. And uh, it was at a, a leader's prayer and fasting conference. Um, and uh, a guy called David Devonish shall be, I guess, known uh, to, to many who listen to this. But uh, if you don't know who David is, kind of apostolic leader uh, in our family of churches, he had a prophetic word in which he said a kind of vision he'd got of, I think it was 10 stones being thrown out uh, from that prayer and fasting uh, conference. And he said, there's a face on each stone and I can see the face and the faces of people in this room right now. And God is saying, it's time to move. <laughs> and I heard that and I thought, that's interesting. I wonder if that's me. Could be, maybe not. I don't know. Um, and then thought nothing more of it. Um, six months later, at the next prayer and fasting conference, um, I happened to be next to David and we were chatting. And then he started prophesying. Um, and it, it transpired that um, I was one of the faces on the stones and the other nine people were all now in the process of moving, and I was the only one who wasn't. Wow. Um, wow. And so there's a bit of a challenge. And in the space of the, the, those two days of prayer and fasting, there were three other specific direct words to me from other people who didn't really know me about it's time to move, it's time to go, it's time to fly the nest, it's time to put into practice what you've been trained in. It's trying to get, time to get blood on your sword. Just all manner of words coming. Yeah. And so really at that point, it was decided in my mind, uh, okay, I need to explore what the next step is, sure. which I started doing. And there are a number of opportunities that emerged and didn't really feel faith for any of them. And the more I prayed, the more Birmingham, which really was way back in my mind at that point, started coming to the forefront. Uh, but really, it was before church planting was so in vogue. Sure. And my way of thinking was, because I was committed to working in the New Frontiers family, there isn't a New Frontiers church in Birmingham, so I can't see how it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. But um, I, I followed up kind of the, the prophetic provocation from David and said, look, this is what's going on in my mind, but I'm, I'm not quite sure what it looks like. And he said, Jonathan, it's funny you should say that because God's been speaking to me about the, the Midlands region. He shared with me um, what turned into something called the Midlands Initiative, mm. which mm. came out of a dream to see 50 churches right. uh, established in the Midlands area uh, by the year 2000, like a kind of the starting of a whole region of churches in a short space of time. And so I thought, ka-ching, this is all aligning perfectly. David brought this prophetic provocation. Yeah. I'm thinking Birmingham. He's thinking this. Let's go. And then he started putting the brakes on, saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, you, 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 wait, let's take this slowly. Um, he, he proposed that I moved to Bedford oh, did he? Uh, okay. and joined Woodside Church. Yeah. I mean, no offence. I recognise there's a reason 
reasonable Bedford contingent staring at me from the screen right now. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, I, uh, whilst up until that point, I had no great desire to ever go to Birmingham, even less so Bedford, and I could see no strategic purpose at all in that move. Oh, uh, so I argued with him about that. And, and he said, well, let, let's just take it carefully which I inwardly struggled with, mm. I, I've, I felt ready to go at that point. Yes. I felt God had spoken. I've been living with that initial prophetic word for a number of years by that point. And I thought, well, why wait any longer? Oh, yeah. But uh, again, I think David was probably right. And in the providence of God, in that waiting period, I met Helen, who turned into my wife. Right. Uh, in fact, the first date we went on was the day after my first ever visit to Birmingham. Uh, to do a bit of a kind of recce of the place, yeah. got back from that, went on a date with Helen. Uh, so from the word go in our fledgling relationship, Birmingham was very much on the agenda. <laughs> in fact, I'm not sure whether I want to put this out uh, in the public domain, but oh, we're, <laughs> we're among on, friends, why not? <laughs> go for um, it. When I proposed to Helen, she kept me hanging for a whole month before answering. Really? She assured me she was convinced about me, which was reassuring but it was the That's birmingham good. bit it's the birmingham bit oh, really yeah and she, yeah. she felt she she needed to be in a place of faith hmm. to yeah. move with me to church plant in birmingham so uh, i had to wait for a month wow. for an answer but yeah wow. fortunately yeah. she said yes uh we got married and three months later then moved to church Brilliant. plant in birmingham there's a whole nother podcast to be recorded yeah, there about is. how like the call of God and marriage is kind of all intertwined. But yeah, you know, what a good example, I think, of, of that understanding you both had. That actually, God's clearly spoken. Yeah. He's got this before you. Actually, I'm sure people are listening into that story and nodding along and thinking actually how God needs to speak to, to both, both husband and wife yes. in order to move a family into a new city and to begin a new adventure. Okay, so... Three months into marriage, you're moved to Birmingham. What did planting a church 25 years ago look like? Looking back, it was absolute craziness. I mean, no one in their right mind would say, go and plant a church three months into getting married. True. On top of that, I was 25 years old, yes. had never yeah. really led anything. I grew up in a village with a population of 3,000 people moving to the UK's second city. Uh, had no church planting training or experience whatsoever. I knew absolutely nobody in Birmingham and uh, had no team at all. Uh, in fact, all, all the people were invited to come with us, even close friends, said no because they thought it was craziness. <laughs> um, so it was just Helen and myself. Wow. wow. But we knew God had called us to do yes. it yeah. and we knew he was with us. And really, that's all we went with. And looking back, don't really know how it happened. Um, we we had no great strategy. Uh, like I say, didn't really know what on earth we were doing. Uh, but from day one, we just absolutely threw ourselves into getting to know our neighbours. We set up a neighbourhood watch scheme on our road. Uh, Helen joined the local gym and got to know some people there. I joined the local football club, got to know some people yeah. there. Uh, most days we're out doing door-to-door evangelism, anything and everything we could just to get to know people because we knew no one there yeah. and we had no one with us, which kind of focuses the mind. Two months in, we managed to start an alpha course in our home wow. with five unbelievers. Really? Four of them became Christians. Nice. Within Good. six months, 
we'd managed to gather 25 people and, uh, just as brief aside, could field a pretty strong 11-a-side football team <laughs> out of that 25 <laughs> uh, oh, to the point that there's another element of me. I'm reasonably competitive and so challenged the two largest churches in Birmingham to a game of football and we beat both of them. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and on the strength of that, uh, the 25 people, not the the football team, uh, we launched a Sunday meeting. And again, David Devonish was a little more cautious, and probably rightly so, and he wanted us to have a few more people. Uh, And I think maybe I slightly duped him that we might have had a few more people. Um, So, David, if you're listening, I'm really sorry, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> always better to apologize after the event uh but yes. we had gathered a legitimate 25 people and from that point on we gathered more and so within a year we we're up to 75 people uh, and i started planning our next church wow. plant amazing before we go into your next church plant as i just heard you say that's a remarkable start yeah just starting with you two and then seeing a, a work established within six months can you just comment on what that was like? Because that was some amazing first year. Mm. Yeah, I, I wish I could give you the kind of these three things. If you do this, yeah, it will yeah. all work out like that. Honestly, I have no idea how or why it worked because it shouldn't have done. Yeah. Other than the fact God was, God in, was it. in it, and genuinely, I think I think that's it. Yeah. I, we felt sure. we'd heard from God. It was pretty much 10 years to the day from that first encounter with God when I was 15 to actually when Helen and I moved to Birmingham, but 10 years of living with it, coming from a place of complete unbelief to a place of faith. But by the time we went, we knew God was in it. Fantastic. And that was enough for us. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we, we didn't, we weren't complacent with that. We weren't sitting back. God would just give the people. I mean, we worked really hard and did everything yeah. we could. And I think there's a, probably a principle in that in terms of the more you sow, the more you reap. And we didn't always reap where we were sowing, but yeah. we saw a harvest as a result of trusting God, obeying him, having faith and yeah. acting uh, accordingly. Uh, it, it's as simple as that, I think. It's good to hear, actually, there aren't kind of three top tips that, like you know guarantee success or anything but actually it's uh it's a god yeah. thing god's spoken he sent you you worked hard you clearly did you know throw yourself right into that yeah god does that work okay so carry on the story for us there's a little teaser at the end there you said after a year 75 people and then you were even thinking about what was next so in fact over the next five years we sent out teams to plant a further three churches in and around Birmingham. Wow. It was kind of in our DNA from the word go in terms of it isn't just one church. We're, we're looking to reproduce and reproduce and reproduce. And I think maybe we were a bit too reckless in it all and it nearly killed us, if truth be told. Probably we needed a bit more of a period of consolidation. Yeah. And so it's really slowed us down. And a couple of the church plants didn't work for a couple of different reasons, really. One of the challenges we had as a church was raising up leaders. In fact, the first 100 people we had, we had one person over the age of 30 and one person under the age of 18. Mm. And we never wanted a church like that. We wanted breadth, but I guess like attracts like. And 
we weren't a particularly attractive option for people who are a bit more mature and established. So uh, we, 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 we attracted quite a few people in their 20s, yeah. but people who had no leadership experience nor necessarily any great aspiration to lead anything, which was also a bit of a frustration. So I think I was waiting all the time for ready-made leaders to arrive from outside to be joined to us, and it just never happened. And so I guess had to invest in and train and produce our own leaders, which actually has been by far the most rewarding and and fruitful way of doing it, but it takes time and effort. But we, so we're planting these churches, but we didn't have leaders to send. And one of the plants didn't work because a leader came from somewhere completely else. We had no relationship with this person, but, uh, and they'd led quite a a large church somewhere else that they came to pick up a a group of people uh, from our church and and lead a plant with them. But it, it just didn't really work. I think maybe for some relational issues, but but more, I think that this person's gifting was great when they had 100 people to lead, yeah. but they weren't necessarily such a gatherer. Um, and so they, they just couldn't get the thing going. Mm. So that kind of folded after a while. Uh, I think the other one that didn't work was on pretty tough estate. And we had mm. 25 people who moved onto the estate and absolutely threw themselves into kind of incarnationally living and open homes that the estate in their homes and they did a brilliant job and saw a number of people come to faith really quickly but that they found all of their energy ended up being drawn into pastoral care for people from pretty complex backgrounds and all their energy for mission got kind of drained and again over a few years uh, one by one, kind of members of that team kind of burnt out, and again the right. the, yeah. the, the thing folded. So I think we we probably learnt some lessons through that. Yeah, can I interrupt just for a sec? Yeah, the question occurred to me then: if you are part of an existing church right now, part of the leadership team, you're just thinking about church planting from that perspective. Do you? wait for the leader, invest in raising up leaders. I'd love to hear you talk about that as well in, in a moment. Or or do you say, oh, we're going and we'll trust God for the leader? Is It's kind of chicken and egg maybe. What would you say as advice to those of us thinking like that? It really depends on the context, I think. I think that there's certainly an argument for, for starting something, but being clear on expectations, uh, even yeah. if the person who starts it isn't necessarily going to lead it long term. But if you can gather mm. some people... Um, and then we'll work with it. Um, I think relationships really important and getting the right kind of fit in terms of leader and people and just airdropping someone in to people they don't really know, I think is a bit of a risk. If God's spoken and God's in it, then, then great. I think one of the things that we've done more recently is use more of a kind of multi-site approach, which okay. I think I've been one to as... Again, depending on the context, in a city like Birmingham, there are lots of people and lots of space yeah. and lots of room for new sites. I think kind of fast-forwarding the history, we can go back and fill in some of the gaps as we go, perhaps. But uh, over the last 10 years, we've kind of launched four sites. Right. And I think that gets the best of both worlds. You can work into harder areas, but with the resource of a larger church okay. to come in yeah, and support pastorally good. and keep people on the ground working missionally you're able to do the pioneering but with the the resource of something slightly bigger behind sure. it and i think that served us better uh, as a church over the last 10 years we managed to pull off some things is it kind of hasn't been easy uh, and there have been some challenges but uh, we've ended up with four uh, sites or churches 
uh, that that are all healthy uh, and, and doing well now that probably if we just launched them out as plants independently, might not have done so yeah, well. That's really interesting. Has, has that enabled you to to see some success through planting the site with a leader that hasn't got as much experience as would normally be required to plant their own church? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we've found that people who wouldn't necessarily have been an elder in a church of three or 400 people, well, when you've got a site of... 50 mm. absolutely they would be um yes. and in terms of the context that in, in one context they're more of a father to those people than in context maybe not and with the support of the larger church behind yeah i think it's brought more people into leadership than we would have been able to before and the right people for the right context mm. so it's certainly kind of unlocked things on a leadership level for us as well I think it's fascinating, Jonathan. And in, in my story, I've done church planting, I've done some site planting. And so what you're saying is resonating with some things that I've learned uh, along the way and still continue to learn. In the end, it's about having a new community of believers, whether it's a site or a church plant. I guess we don't mind, do we? Yeah. So I know, Jonathan, part of your story is having seen amazing fruit through working with other churches, working across denominations. You shared at the Multiply Conference a few months back a, a wonderful story about what God has been doing and some plans going forward as well that are incredibly exciting. So tell us a bit more about that. Uh, again, let me take you back uh, in, in history to around right about 2010. I started a conversation back then with another uh, local church leader, a guy called Neil Powell, who mm. led a local non-charismatic FIEC church. Um, and actually, he reached out to me initially, and he wouldn't mind me saying, as I've said it to him before and said it to others before, but when he contacted me, I thought he was going to pick me up on some theological <laughs> blunder I'd made. Right. <laughs> and... I was slightly nervous meeting up with him. Our, our churches were really close together, but we did nothing together, and nor could we see any potential to do so, really, yeah. uh, for a very sure. different feel. But he said God had been speaking to him about church planting in Birmingham, but really had nowhere to go to look for some kind of help with that. And I think the more we talked, the more we felt, actually, our, our dreams for the city were pretty similar and also our awareness that we couldn't do it by ourselves uh, because the challenges and opportunities were, were just too big. Uh, and so mm. it wasn't all in the space of one conversation, but over a period of time, I guess we, we built a bit of a, a relationship and a trust between us and agreed that we care too much for our city. Uh, we love the people who live in our city way too much to stubbornly just stick it independently doing our own thing in our own denomination or stream or tribe. Mm. Uh, and although we're pretty realistic going into it, we knew it involved a fair bit of sacrifice and probably misunderstanding along the way. We tentatively agreed to lay aside the many differences we had. Uh, so, so Neil would say if, if Church Central, the church I lead, was the last remaining church in Birmingham, he wouldn't go to it. Uh, that, that's how different we are. That's honest. Wow. Although we have preached in one another's churches, so we're not, not that right. kind okay. of... But although <laughs> there are some differences and challenges working together, what could we do together by preferring one another, uh, by focusing 
more on, on, on the opportunities. And we created this kind of vision or aim of seeing 20 churches planted in Birmingham by the year 2020. Now, a bit of a tease. Uh, I'll, I won't tell you right now how we've done with that. But I think one of the things I've learned through all of this is that partnering wider than perhaps you're comfortable with and investing in the success of someone else's work, although really challenging, it can be disproportionately fruitful. Yeah. The yeah. more generous spirited you can be, the wider you're willing to partner, the, the more you're willing to celebrate the successes of others, even if it's at the expense of your own church, I think the more effective you can be in mission. Yeah. And so Brilliant. fast forward 10 years or so, I've done the sums coming into this conversation just for the sake of integrity. Don't want to okay. exaggerate anything. Yeah. In the midst of uh, one of the lockdowns last year, we managed to plant our 21st church. My goodness. Uh, there's been an Ethiopian church, a Romanian church, a Latin American church, a church on white working class council estates. Uh, our latest plant largely made up of refugees, including a number of Muslims. Uh, in wow. fact, I, I went to uh, some baptisms uh, that plant uh, the other weekend, five new believers baptized out of something that started in uh, wow. the, the last lockdown and book plug i know you you can do this in, in this podcast i've, I've heard you others can do plug it whatever you want you can even plug everything yeah. <laughs> thank you you're a generous man martin uh, if you want to read the story of what we've done in birmingham it's kind of a collaboration called 2020 birmingham the name of which is now uh, redundant so we are coming up with a different name now but uh, ivp have published a book called together for the city uh, that narrates a bit of the story uh, of what we've done so far. Brilliant. Jonathan, could you just uh, tell us some more about what is happening now in Birmingham, just thinking particularly of the Catalyst family that we're involved in? Uh, maybe it'd be how can people get involved in in the vision to plant more churches in Birmingham? We'd love to hear more about that. I, I think as we approach the 25th anniversary of the Midlands Initiative, I believe it's now time for Birmingham now, in fact, I'm believing for a whole region of churches to be planted in our city over the next decade. I guess my question is, how many of those churches will be sent by Catalyst? Personally, mm. uh, for the record, it might be too few, and I'm more than happy for it to be more. But I'm believing for at least another 10 to come out of us in the next 10 years. Wow. Uh, I mentioned earlier some of the opportunities and challenges that are facing us here in Birmingham. Uh, first of all, is the size of the city uh, in the region of a million within the city, over two and a half million in the greater Birmingham area. Uh, if you were to drive every road in the city, you'd have covered over 2,000 miles. And it's grown pretty fast. 92,000 people have moved into Birmingham and increased the population over the last decade. It's also the youngest city in Europe. Over 40% of the population are under 25. Wow. Uh, they've got five universities, wow. over 73,000 students. 41% of neighbourhoods in Birmingham are among the most deprived 10% in the UK. Uh, and it's soon to be a majority minority city. Also has the largest Pakistani population outside Pakistan. I might be slightly biased here, but... I think it makes tremendous strategic sense to focus on planting many more churches in Birmingham. There's so much virgin territory, so much fertile ground ready to be planted into. 
Now, I might be abusing this interview slightly, but if this is something you start to find God giving you personal faith for, I think it goes without saying, I would love to connect with yeah. you. Yes. But even if Birmingham is not for you, if like <laughs> me when I was 15, you thought, I never want to go to Birmingham. Well, God could still have his way. But if, <laughs> if it never happens for you, I'd at least like to invite you to commit to praying this dream into yeah. a reality. Jonathan, that is fantastic. How can someone get in contact with you if they're interested in knowing more about that? Yeah, send an email to hello at churchcentral.org.uk. Hello at churchcentral.org.uk. Perfect. Jonathan, that's fantastic. Do you know, I was part of the Midlands Initiative as well. And so if part of doing this interview means that we together get on board with a Midlands Initiative Part 2, well, this has all been worth it. So so thank you yeah, so much for sharing brilliant, that. Isn't it? That's great. Okay, check that out. So exciting to hear such breakthrough in church planting in Birmingham. I just want to push a little bit on that decision to partner with Neil. Yes. Knowing a little bit about you, Jonathan, even a little bit about your family and how much you and your family have been part of New Frontiers. New Frontiers is all about values often. And so the things that we hold on to dearly, we hold on to sometimes. You know, I'm, I'm hearing your heart and hearing how God's blessed this, but I'm, I don't want to underestimate what, what a decision that was. Did you experience any negative comments? Uh, I mean, I'm not asking you to name names here, but you know, how, how difficult was it for you? Yeah, in, in terms of naming names, I named my, myself. I, I was pretty dubious about it for probably the first five years of the partnership. <laughs> <laughs> I think kind of both sides would be known maybe for kind of their exclusivity, uh, driven by values. And so in terms Mm, of church planting, we'll think, well, there isn't one of our churches in a place, so we need to plant it. We'd both be thinking that way. And I think uh, just trying to join up a bit in terms of, yes, let's be realistic. We're not going to plant a church together because it would split pretty quickly because yeah. it's going to be built on slightly different foundations yeah and so there is that acknowledgement but i guess we came about it through a bit of jargon to love out kind of theological vision let me give you three different levels of kind of partnership uh, and there's and a sh- three-point sermon here in your <laughs> theological vision i like it yeah, yeah yeah so if you imagine a pyramid at the top of the pyramid the first level would be like your new frontiers or your fiec yeah. your yeah. kind of the tribe that you are part of where you feel most comfortable and it's easier just to stay there mm. and do things within that pretty narrow section uh, maybe the, the next level down would be churches like yours in a particular place. So in Birmingham, there'd be any number of different leaders for Eternals. One would be with kind of charismatic uh, leaders in the city. And so it's not such a kind of culture clash being in in that room, that environment, those leaders. There'd be another kind of group, kind of the the gospel partnership where Neil and his friends would have been, but those two worlds wouldn't normally come together. What we're tapping into is a third level which is to do with the context and the questions missionally you're asking because of the context. So I might have more in common with Neil Powell in Birmingham than I do, Martin, with you in Bedford in terms of your context and the questions you're asking where you are Yes. which are very different to the ones I'm asking where I am. And so it is coming together around the context, the gospel questions we're asking, 
that the, the missional conclusions we're reaching and working together towards that. And we'll do it differently, but there's enough momentum missionally to yeah. do some stuff together. So I've said we, we, we don't plant churches sure. together. Sure, sure. But right. we, we do cooperate. So if, if Neil's involved with a, a plant in one place, we might not plant there. We okay. might think, well, our church might be better because it's on our, with our face. But it, well, <laughs> well, Birmingham's a big place. Yeah. Um, we believe they love Jesus. Yeah. We believe that they're going to see people come to faith in Jesus. Yeah. Why don't we focus somewhere else where there's more of a gap? And I think one of the things I've learned over the years with church planting, it can be pretty lonely at times. And I think a, a big kind of drop off for church plant leaders is is that loneliness and sense of isolation is there a way we could get church planters together and peer-to-peer support them because regardless of the kind of church you're you're planting the challenges tend to be pretty similar and that's been our experience yeah very true and so it's creating a context for peer-to-peer support a bit of input and training from some people who are a few fur- years further along the line and a sense of relationship together and mission together. I think it's just healthy to take your eyes off your, your own small, narrow world to see something a bit bigger. Uh, and funnily yeah. enough, where there's that sense of unity, I think we've felt something, the blessing of God on it. And I don't want to overstate what we're doing. I mean, yeah. it, uh, if you ask most churches in Birmingham about what we're doing, they'd be oblivious. I mean, we're, we're, Birmingham's a big place yes, and we're sure. barely scratching big the surface. Tw- 20 churches isn't enough. And so next 10 years, we're believing for another 30. Uh, 20 oh, plus yes. 30 wow. will make 50. Um, and we're thinking if each yeah. of those 50 were to plant again, we could get to 100. But even that might not be enough. And again, just to say, I'm going on a bit here but it's not so much about planting churches yeah, it's, it's the good. kind of churches we're planting we want churches that are missionally reaching out and seeing people come to faith yeah. uh, we're actually one of the ways we have collaborated yeah. among very different churches is around mercy ministries and uh, some of the churches have come together around running a cap center and various other initiatives we've found each other and partnered together um, very good mm. very good what a vision, another 30 churches in the next 10 years. I think that's really helpful even just to lay out how that works in terms of cooperation, peer-to-peer relationship, training. You hear about churches working together and you're not sure quite what that looks like in terms of the actual rubber hits the road stuff. Does it look like money? Does it look like giving people away? Does it look like prayer? That's really helpful to just kind of hear how it's really worked and it clearly is working. Any other ways, I guess, anything else to add to the ways you you have seen it work? Well, it's just a constant challenge because time is short and a pretty scarce commodity. Each of the people involved are local church leaders with plenty of demands on them. And it's a constant decision. Do I invest some of my time into Mm. other churches that are very different to my own? Or do I get on with doing stuff in my own church? And I think through sacrificing a bit and doing the uncomfortable thing, I've seen a disproportionate amount of blessing and success, really. Uh, And the knock-on back into our own church has been great as well. And actually, I think we find people in the church 
actually quite like the fact we're partnering yeah. with others. Uh, they they yeah. quite enjoy the fact there's a bit of breadth. Um, yeah, it tends to be leaders that are more tribal. The people are more ecumenical, I've found. I agree. Within yeah. those 20 churches, I know you've got a bigger vision uh, that builds on that, but how many of you planted yourself? Yeah, so um, f- five of them would be... Uh, part of our catalyst family wow, of churches um and Brilliant. uh four of those five uh, have come out church Brilliant. central that's fantastic Brilliant. in 10 years you know, that 10 year period yeah wow yeah. are they different churches or were they sites first yeah so for us we have transitioned all but our newest site into fully autonomous churches okay. Okay. um which wasn't necessarily the trajectory we wanted to do early on although we acknowledged that could be how it ended up but Mm. i think the further down the line we got that it wasn't like even the sites were pushing to be separate churches quite the opposite in fact and they needed some convincing Hmm. Uh, but just in terms of what we believe about elders and freeing them up to contextualize more than they were doing or felt they had permission for, despite saying you've got permission to. Um, I think we reached the point where, uh, so actually 12 months ago, we, we, we launched kind of three into uh, autonomous churches whilst, uh, and this uh, this could come back to bite us, but whilst staying together as one trust, so oh, okay. um, all, all the finances together, uh, we have a, a team of directors kind of uh, helping kind of wow. manage the, the whole. Um, and again, that's a, a way is that maybe the, the richer ones can subsidise the poorer. Sure. We still have a, a central staff team that serves the whole, with some okay. roles more specifically deployed into the local, but a fluidity around them. One one could describe it as a reasonably kind of close-knit apostolic yeah. family. Yes. Yeah. Um, a bit of a hybrid, model. isn't it? A really yeah. uh, of church yeah. and site. But, well, fascinating. I mean, that's you're, you're pioneering something. There may be others doing similar, but I, I'm not close to those situations. Tremendous. Very good, Jonathan. Very cool. So, Jonathan, you've talked a couple of times about leaders, raising up leaders, releasing leaders. I'm wondering if maybe you could share some of what you've seen about what helps leaders come through into planting churches. What would you advise for (laughs) raising leaders up and and sending them out and for next steps for them to explore? I think in terms of raising leaders, it was kind of a, a penny drop moment for me early on. I need to raise my own leaders and look again at the the resources God has entrusted and think, okay, who here have I got faith for to invest in and bring through? And I think I've always um, tried to take some risks. Um, I've always not assumed people would say no. I've always given them the opportunity to say yes or no uh, tried to not do things alone but always include other people with I, again I, i'm probably more intuitive and so it's more a field thing rather than a, these are the systems i have in place other than i guess a, a conviction that we need more leaders 
and got to be a faithful steward of the people God's entrusted to you. And so uh, I guess trying to create space for people, I think, Multiplying Sites more recently has enabled us to do that and bring through a whole raft of new elders in the church, which we're really excited about. Even the last 12 months through kind of the whole COVID thing, it's enabled us to release a whole bunch of new leaders kind of carrying kind of community group responsibilities. So in effect, uh, the people leading the church I'm in now would more be the community group leaders who weren't really leading anything 12 months ago. And so it feels like we've, we've now, it's part of who we are, mm. bringing people Great. through, giving space for them, investing them, encouraging them. Uh, actually, but by, by nature, I'm not so much hands-on, and maybe I, I should or could be more so. Uh, it's more I believe in you, uh, modelling how to do things, trying to – Ensure people have got the resources they need to succeed and fly, but also giving them space to do that. I, I think kind of more recently, just thinking through how do we increase the diversity uh, amongst our leadership, okay. which we haven't necessarily got the answers to, but um, both in terms of age, looking older and younger, and so that the last batch of elders we appointed, we had people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s that we uh, wrote a point. So it, from those early days when it was pretty much all in their 20s, the breadth has come. Sure. And I guess you just get a bit of momentum and just keep going yeah. with it. And the yeah, fact yeah. if you keep planting, you keep creating space and the need for, for leaders to come through. Fantastic. John, if you give us some advice for people who are wanting to take next steps towards church planting, what would you recommend? Very good. Okay, quick fire. First of all, calling is really important because yes. uh, yeah. church planting can be kind of glamorized. And it's the exciting thing to do. It's really tough. Uh, it involves great sacrifice and probably any number of times you'll be tempted to give up or go back. Um, and at those times, I mean, no offense, but an inspiring podcast probably <laughs> won't be enough. I agree. How dare you? <laughs> Sorry. It's you'll true, never ask me back true. again. Uh, <laughs> to get faith to continue, I think you need to better look back and know what God's called yeah. you to. Yeah. Um, and just to say, I think the call can come in any number of different ways. My story was probably unique to me. I needed a really strong persuasion or else it wouldn't have happened. So a clear prophetic word, uh, including a place name, was what happened for me. But uh, that that's not how it works for everyone. Yes. It could just be an invitation from someone else. It could be uh, an appeal to come and help. It could be a relational joining of hearts with someone. It could be some apostolic yeah. advice. It could be a set of circumstances with a job move, yeah. a testing of it and seeing. I think just say an important part of the testing is talking it through the leaders of your church. But I think calling is really important. Second, you don't need to assume it's just for the young and the mobile and the seemingly yeah. radical or someone who's got loads of leadership experience. Uh, in my experience, faithful, committed, reliable, mature believers yeah. are like absolute gold yeah. dust. Uh, and my hunch would be there are plenty of people in established churches that aren't necessarily leading anything. They just say it, serve faithfully behind the scenes, maybe taken a bit for granted, but you transport those people into a young church plant 
and they make the world a difference. Yeah, so true. Uh, right so now, true. I, I can think of three retired couples over the years who have mm. joined church plants I've been involved with, uh, and they have turned the thing around. Just having them, they're just knowing they're going to be there every week yeah. is enough. But having people with our values in them and the maturity pass through all of that. So, so don't discount yourself if you think you're, you're too old or haven't got the experience, you've never led anything. You could be the missing piece yeah. in a church Absolutely. plant. Third thing, I say start preparing now. Even if you never end up church planting, there's nothing wasted. I think in an established church... There's probably enough going on to disguise a weak personal relationship with God. Uh, you can turn up to a meeting, and get fed without feeling the need to delve into God's word for yourself. But in a church plant, most of the things you take for granted in an established church won't be there. Yeah. And at that point, you need an established daily walk with God that will sustain you. And I'd say build it now. Now is the Sounds time good, to get nice. that in. Very good. Uh, and if, I don't want to sound too harsh, but if you're not reaching unbelievers now, what makes you think suddenly in a church plant you'll start doing it? And uh, if there are cracks in your marriage now, probably they'll get widened in a church plant context. And so I'd encourage you, be proactive, start preparing, get ready now. Uh, look out for people in the church you're in now that you can learn from. Yeah. Bleed them dry because if you move to church plant, they won't be with you anymore. Yeah. So get as much out of them while you can. Start preparing now. Fourthly, our five points, I'm nearly done. Oh, this is good. This is good. Keep going. Fourthly, be patient and do not despise the waiting period. Mm, yeah. Yeah. If we think we've heard from God, I think we can assume it's immediate, it's for now. But the Bible seems to suggest that God is often in no hurry whatsoever. Whole decades can go past yeah. and God doesn't even <laughs> blink. Uh, and often, in my experience, it is the waiting period that's the time he does his best work in people. So don't despise the wait, embrace it. And then fifthly, and then I'm done, you do not have to be in a church plant to be a radical follower of Jesus. Well said, yeah. In fact, sometimes staying where you are is the more radical option. And so although it might be slightly off message yeah, for this podcast, go for it. I want to say for every person who perhaps is feeling stirred to go and pioneer, I'm hoping there'll be someone else who's listening right now who receives faith in this moment to stay where they are, Very good. put down roots again, and serve God sacrificially with everything they've got for decades to come. Uh, and I personally believe both routes lead to multiplication. Amen. Well said, Brilliant sir. advice. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, that's so good. You've really served us ever so well today, Jonathan. Praise God for what he's doing. And that's some gold advice right at the end. Um, I'm going to be reflecting on a lot of that myself too. So, yeah, big thank you to you for all you've shared. Yeah, thank you, Jonathan. We will come back to you to see how this story continues to unfold. Oh, thank you. Please do. You've really, really served us well, uh, my friend. So thank you so much for sharing so honestly and, yeah, really helping us to understand how God has used you. So fantastic job. Thanks, Jonathan. Well, absolute pleasure. Great to be with you. Well, Martin, what a fantastic conversation that was with Jonathan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so much in there about raising up leaders, about planting churches, and just even his own story from 15 years old. Let's just reflect for a few minutes, shall we, and just draw some of those 
things out that we really want to pay attention to and think about. Martin, what did you particularly want to take note of from what Jonathan said there? Uh, Yeah, it was full of amazing things, actually, very helpful things. I mean, to hear someone say that they're a reluctant leader is something they didn't want to do. His dad was a pastor. I knew his dad, actually, Arnold, Arnold Bell. Jonathan grew up knowing what church leadership looked like. Mm. That was never an option, I think, in his thinking. And then suddenly this moment when God grabs hold of him at the age of 15 and he's completely turned around. I mean, he loved God. He was following God, but he discovered that actually God wanted him to go in a different direction. So I think to hear someone who started out like that and now here with, with his ministry very much developed and real fruit in his life church planting which is amazing the numbers Mm. of churches that he's been involved in personally also supporting and working with other churches in Birmingham yeah I mean it's quite a story I think the reluctant leader thing I know I identified with that at points in my life yeah me too i'm sure a lot of people will be really relating to that and even after god spoke he didn't tell anyone (laughs) yeah that's right that's just funny (laughs) he thought if he Um, doesn't talk about it maybe it'd just go away i mean i think it might be one of those moments yeah but i like the way like tested it yeah he kind of he said well okay god i'll say yes to this talk in the youth group and i think that's a good example for for all of us actually okay well it just seems to be speaking i'll I'll test it. I'll, I'll look for you to carry on leading. So yeah, it's good. I think the um, importance of call came out as well at the end, yeah, didn't it? Definitely. So he talked about his own personal call, but then in his advice at the end, as he shared, you know, when it's cold and wet and rainy and it's going, it's all going wrong. To know God spoken is essential. Yes. Uh, yes. And I liked how he was clear that it. God speaks in many different ways. God calls yeah. in many different ways. It doesn't have to look like being lying on on your face for forty five minutes when you're fifteen. No. Um, <laughs> but I think that's good for good for us listening into that to think. Okay, has God called me? How yes. can I get clear on what God's really saying? So that's helpful. Probably all leaders that I've come into contact with, certainly it would be myself. We've all had moments when we thought, I'm not sure if I want to do this anymore. Sure. And it's at those times you just have to know what God has said to you. Yeah. And you have to have that sense of conviction that this mm. is what God wants you to do. And that becomes becomes almost the most important thing. Then it's not about what other people think of you or even even other people encouraging you. You've got to know in your heart of hearts, actually, God wants me here, even though... Mm. You know, sometimes you're thinking this is the last place I want to be. Yeah. And that, that seems to be all part of the story sometimes of learning how to trust God when it really is tough. It's interesting that you said that a couple of plants didn't work. Yeah, I like, I, I, I like that bit, actually, <laughs> in a weird sort of way. It's real, isn't it? It doesn't always go well. Yeah. Did you kind of grab anything he said particularly from that point? Yeah, I think what was helpful uh, is he talked about what didn't work when he... They planted early and he, and he interestingly said that the main reason he felt was the wrong leader or not a close enough relational connection or not the right gifting. It was leadership was the thing that he had identified. 
the, the amazing thing is what he'd taken from that lesson, he then applied it to future church plants. Yes. Jonathan talks a lot about investing in leaders yeah, and yeah. seeing that as the key thing that he should be involved in. He should be building a church and churches that are investing and multiplying leaders. That's how Church Central will grow and that's yeah. how they will continue to, to plant more sites and more churches. So, yeah, it was interesting to see how he'd learned that lesson and then it really uh, changed his strategy in how to build for the future. And so that's a, you know, that's a lesson, not only for church planters, but that's a lesson for all leaders that, yes. that it, we must be. I'm thinking to myself now, am I investing as much of my time in leadership development? I agree. And he, he said that one line, didn't he, about like, I believe in you. Yeah. To find I love people that. where you, you know, I really see, see it. I think we've heard that in other podcasts yeah. as well. Yeah. Sometimes people see it before you see it yourself. Oh, almost and, always. Um, in fact, it's the ones yeah. that see it themselves first. They're the, they're the ones I'm, I'm more <laughs> oh, hesitant. You'll watch, <laughs> you watch out for those. The people that come up and say, hey, I, I've arrived. <laughs> yeah, You've been waiting for me, I know. Sometimes you are looking for the reluctant leader uh, that you can see God's grace on. And you can say, yeah. actually, I, I've got faith for you. I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing. A good thing to think about if you're an aspiring church planter to find someone who yeah. believes in believes you, in you. Will, believes willing to in invest you. in you. Yes. Has, you know, yes. I mean, we heard, didn't we, coming through the, the role of the apostolic? Yes. You mentioned Dave Devonish. Yes. Bless him, David. Yes. Fasting moments and the role of the prophetic. And, uh, you know, we're not lone rangers in no. church planting. We need a team behind us and around us and with us, obviously, too. Yeah. What, what do you think to him saying he had no idea how or why his church grew so quick? I mean, like he went from nothing to four people getting saved on Alpha within like two months. And then after a year, there were 75 people in planning their next church plant. And yet we asked him, how did that happen? And he, he was like, I have no idea. You know, we can we can want yeah. the uh, easy answer, can't we? We can, want the, we can look yeah. for the silver yeah. bullet. Oh, if yeah. I do that. Yeah. I, they clearly didn't sit back and wait for God to do something. God responds to faith and responds when we when we partner with him. Yeah. We didn't get the three steps to heaven, did we? Do this these three things and and you're there. Uh, in some respects I, I quite like that. I did as well. I quite like it because in the end this is a miracle. This is this is God at work. Jesus is building his church. We know these things conceptually but we see it when we when we talk to someone like Jonathan. It's really inspiring actually. Brilliant, Martin. Another great podcast, I think, Good. biased as I probably am. We say, don't we, all the time, Church Plants for everyone. Yeah. It's for all of us to get involved, even staying where you are as well, as strengthening a church and enabling that church to plant more churches. It's all so, part of the um, story, isn't it? It's all part of it. Well, as you say, everyone is involved in, ch- in planted churches, whether they like it or not. They may just be praying for someone who's involved. Uh, uh, so it's, it's something that we are all involved in. Brilliant. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening in to another podcast. We want to ask you and encourage you to subscribe and also share this with uh, your friends and your family and your neighbour and your cat <laughs> and uh, anywhere you can. And looking forward to some more episodes coming up in the future. Thanks for listening. Brilliant. Thanks, Tim. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to get in touch, then send us an email to multiply at catalystnetwork.org or follow us on social media.